Welcome to Ekuneni, a podcast about South African innovators. I'm Jen Warren. And I'm Pam Sykes. And Ekuneni is the Xhosa word for corner. In South Africa, the street corner is where people hang out, trade stories and watch life unfold. And that's exactly what we hope to share with you. So join us to explore what stirs ordinary people to make a difference in their communities. We'll introduce you to some of Cape Town's local heroes who are changing the world with bravery, innovation, ingenuity and heart. Welcome to Ekuneni Street Corner Stories. Welcome back everyone to the eighth and final episode in this first season of interviews with innovators around Cape Town. Just a quick note before we start, we recorded this interview in an echoey room, so please forgive any glitches and we think our guest is so awesome it won't matter too much. This time we're talking to Marcela Guerrera-Casas, the Managing Director of Open Streets Cape Town and also one of its founding members. I've admired Open Streets for a long time, so this conversation was really exciting for me. The way a city welcomes people onto its streets or pushes them away is a major ingredient of what makes things work. So what Open Streets Cape Town is doing is really important for the future of my adopted hometown. And my adopted hometown. Yeah, and we love it. So let's hear Marcela tell the story. So Open Streets is, first of all, a global movement. There are 400 cities that have initiated a form of Open Streets. We give people opportunities to experience public space, particularly streets, differently. So we have small activities, like we repurpose parking lots, to larger activities, like Open Streets Days, where we shut down major arteries of the city. So Open Streets Cape Town is an independent organization, but it's connected to a global movement. It is in a very informal way. So we have a relationship with, for instance, Ciclovia in Bogota, which is where I'm from, where I was born and raised. And we have a very strong relationship with the guys from LA. There is called Ciclavia. I feel very connected to this global way of thinking without having the formalized relationships. Marcela's childhood memories of Ciclovia are a really big part of the story. Bogota is the capital city of Colombia, and every Sunday, every single Sunday, it closes down about 120 kilometers of its streets for cyclists, skaters, runners, walkers, babies in pushchairs, and anybody else who wants to move around without a car. Basically, large parts of the city become a big park for the day, and about a third of the city's population takes part. That's one or two million people. It's every single Sunday, right? Millions of people having fun on the street. It's amazing. It is, especially when we know that there are parts of Cape Town where gang activity makes the streets really dangerous. It's special to think of a city that creates safe spaces for all of its citizens every single week. I mean, as a kid, there is one memory, me walking alongside my dad into a neighborhood that was quite marginalized in the south of the city and him saying, I'm so glad that we can come into these places on a day like today because normally I would feel very afraid to bring you kids. And so to me, that's a memory that explains the power of creating the spaces where numbers create safety and where there's an excuse to go into areas where you normally wouldn't go. You've written in some of what we were reading about how the way you grew up in Colombia with forms of segregation that are maybe less visible than segregation we face, but how that's given you a way of seeing Cape Town that's maybe quite helpful. Yeah, and it's not unique to Cape Town. I would say South Africa in general. So when I first arrived in Johannesburg 13 years ago, I remember feeling so comfortable. But obviously I realized over time that 
there were a lot of fractures underneath that very friendly you know, sort of surface, which is exactly what I always criticized of foreigners going into Colombia and having painting this rosy picture of, oh, Colombians are so friendly and warm. And I always had a bit of resentment because as a Colombian, I always felt that we are exactly the opposite. And then not a groundbreaking realization, but it does just society. <laughs> this is just like all cities around the world and all nationalities are the same. We have these divisions that we are very good at covering up, you know, when outsiders come in. But obviously in South Africa, similarly to Colombia, the history of conflict, I think, colors those dynamics. And so I think this program for me has been an attempt to say, well, how can we as individuals, we're not going to change the world overnight, can do something that creates a new space. So I have no illusion that Open Streets is going to open up the city by itself. It has to be a combination of interventions and you know different programs. But it is an entry point, I believe that. So what was it that made you fix on Open Streets as your response mm. to that? So it's not a selfless decision. I was looking for meaning, you know, it was a point in my life, I'd been here for like six years. And then I met all these people who were already doing stuff in the built environment. And this concept just resonated really easily. Then I obviously realized that this is something I know well, I'm passionate about people. That's something that I've always known about myself and that I'm a civil servant at heart. I studied public policy and all along I wanted to work for the public sector, almost regardless of which country. So there was that already there, but it was honestly meeting all these other individuals who just thought this is a great idea and let's try. And that charged me at the same time as an individual with the context that I've just described. You first came to South Africa for work and as a fellow non-South African, I was curious to hear what your interpretation is personally of South Africa being your adopted home. So I think South Africa is a difficult place to be in right now for me. This program has grounded me on many levels. So on one hand, I spent every day working with local government and other civil society organizations and individuals who were doing very sort of grounded work. So I feel like on a day-to-day my reality is very South African. At the same time, because things are shifting so rapidly, I'm starting to feel really far away from my role in not just Cape Town, but South Africa more generally. And I'm having big questions right now. Not about Open Streets, because I am confident that Open Streets as an organization has a role to play. But me as an individual, I'm less certain. So it's a big thing that I'm dealing with at the moment. I'm also wondering, what is home? Going back to what you were saying, you know, and for a long time I've said to myself, home is wherever I live. This kind of questioning about what role one should be playing is common to many people in South Africa right now. In South Africa and I guess all over the world. Yeah, and there's a lot of reflection going on. And Open Streets Cape Town has been going for five years, which is a natural time to stop and think about the future. We were struck by the fact that Open Streets has achieved something which is not actually so easy in South Africa, an organization that's genuinely diverse in its leadership and its membership. It's not just another wannabe white savior story. And we asked Marcella how they made this happen. Because of the main offering, which is this Open Streets Days, you know, where we provide a platform and then lots of really simple but profound things happen. And because we've been able to go to different parts of the city, it has allowed us to establish a lot of relationships with different groups. And I think that's been the formula to be able to attract different demographics. And this is all not just race, but age and gender and everything. Having said that, we're not in a place where I feel confident that we're representative by any stretch of the imagination. So 
We have a long way to go. But I think the fact that we've been able to different parts of the city has allowed us to become broader in that sense. My sense is that a lot of people are having that question all over the world now, particularly with this polarization that's happening in politics in so many different places. What do you do with that feeling of not having any power, of being uh. powerless to what's going on, what is my role, what can I actually do? And one thing we were so struck by your work in Open Streets is just do something, pick one thing and do that thing. So much of the world is in the eight to five slog and how do they make time? Just a quick side note here while we're talking about volunteering and possible opportunities. The voluntary work that South Africans do in their communities can sometimes be invisible to people who come from places which have a more formal or institutional understanding of volunteering. As Marcel has found and as she spoke to us about, South Africans aren't always signing up in large numbers to volunteer for local charities or NGOs, but almost everybody is supporting a local community or an extended family in some way, whether it's by caring for a neighbor's kids or contributing to the cost of a cousin's education. And so the challenge for Open Streets then is how to tap into these existing informal networks and structures. Everybody's volunteering all the time. So how do we build on what's already there? Do you know what I mean? Like trying to think about this stuff differently is really important for us. Because on that same note, we're trying to replicate a program that works really well in Latin America. But our biggest lesson in the past five years is that model cannot be just copied and pasted. But it's been a hard lesson for us to say, no, but we want 10 kilometers of street. And 10 kilometers are not actually what people want, and it's not what's feasible, and it's not what's affordable. So it's really about always questioning and being challenged. Well, so if that's not the model that works for Cape Town, then what is the model? Yeah, not getting stuck on this one idea that you want to deliver. And sometimes I think about my role in open streets in that light and realize, I've just had a very stubborn way of thinking about how this should look. And it's been good because it has sort of advanced in a particular direction, but it's important to also know when to stop. I think there's a certain value to that stubbornness. As South Africans, and I guess that's true of humans in general, we can get very stuck in the way we do things. And sometimes having an outsider come in with a different perspective, telling us it really doesn't need to be that way, can be a great gift. And it also takes a lot of stubbornness to keep on imagining and testing new ways to tackle problems that can seem impossible, like Cape Town's ongoing segregation and poverty. Open Streets, though, seems to be doing a really excellent job of sustaining this creativity and imagination that's required, not only for the people in the organization, but for everyone who experiences the Open Streets Days. We like to think of Open Streets Days as an opportunity for people to have an aha moment. Because it's not even just imagining, but connecting with the possibility of change. To do that, our premise is that you need to have a very striking experience and hopefully something that isn't traumatic, <laughs> but that really jolts you out of your comfort zone. And getting a street that's a major road in the city, you know, completely shut down is one of those things. And if in addition you have all these children playing and then there's quiet, but then there's music. You know, it's like living in this little utopia for a few hours. The challenge has been to, well, how do we turn that into change and how do we monitor it? So the smaller campaigns we're doing, like the cycle to work, walking buses, you know, that type of thing, is our attempt to be more systematic about following the individual experience and to give ideas. The challenge continues to be that we get to sort of the converted. How do we now get to those places where the challenge could be so much bigger and the impact could be so much greater because they haven't even considered it. And that's why for me Open Streets Days must continue to happen. 
we often joke that open space is the gateway drug into change, you know, into imagining a new future. And it's unfortunately really expensive and cumbersome to create these spaces. But to me, that's the way we connect with imagination and with people in general, you know, using that experience and turning it into behavior change. I mean, that's the million dollar question for us. Open Streets Days have happened in many different parts of Cape Town so far. In the city center, along Main Road, which connects the center to the plush southern suburbs, in the township of Longa, Belleville, and all the way to Mitchell's Plain on the Cape Flats. The legacies of apartheid mean that most of the time, most of these places are still deeply segregated. And the farther away you get from the Instagram-friendly city center, the more spaces you see that are marked by poverty and violence. We asked Marcella about how open streets could impact specifically on some of these less celebrated places. I think of places like Mitchell's Plain. I mean, what happens there is amazing because if you have been to Mitchell's Plain on a regular day, you know, you know how desolate the streets are, a lot of them. This particular one where we've done open streets is this wide, ugly, <laughs> ugly street that, you know, we use for open streets. And what you see there is magic. A lot of parents, you know, who are just amazed that their kids can feel safe because that never, ever, ever happens. And we are actually trying to use Mitchell's Plain as a case study. So we want to do it more often and try to monitor a little bit more to see if there are other things starting to change so that, you know, on a daily basis, people start to use the space a little It's quite a powerful idea that the parents and the kids could have this experience of feeling safe in their own community as well and not just when you come to town yes. or when you go to school or when you go to the museum yeah, yeah. but actually outside your front door can also be a safe space exactly and the, and the truth is we don't know if open streets can have that impact especially the way it works right now is the once off and then the next year maybe it happens again so it needs to happen much more regularly and we just need to monitor it better because the anecdotal feedback we get is very positive when it comes to safety. It's incredible. That's where we feel the biggest impact can be. But it's not happening yet. And the main reason we think is the cost, the logistics of it. To shut down a street, you don't just do a traffic management plan, which is already a little bit cumbersome and expensive, but that's doable. You become, as an organizer, liable for the space. You need to prove that you have systems in place like ambulances and a security team and public liability insurance and you know urban management. I mean, it's just this very long list of services that you must hire in. And then it just becomes really unaffordable if you're gonna do it on a regular basis. And this made me wonder, why can't streets or small communities just hold their own mini open streets events? Get some traffic cones, break out the tables and chairs, put on some music, light a bry fire. Apologize later. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to have a block party on my street. And what's really important would be to make sure it's not just an exclusive event for residents, yeah. but that everybody who walks past would be welcomed and would feel welcome. Make enough food for everybody. Do you think we could do that without the council shutting us down? Apologize later. <laughs> <laughs> so people do it. I mean, I have at least two friends who have done it on their streets, one in Oz, one in Woodstock. But we are very interested in connecting with those small initiatives. And we, as part of this process of realizing, okay, it's not gonna work in this big network sort of scenario that we had in mind. How do we connect with the more organic and natural initiatives? So working with CCID, for instance, you know, and their mandate is to provide security and cleanliness services or whatever. And their mandate very oftentimes is to remove people who, you know, who sleep on the street. And we have had to have those conversations where we said to them, actually, no, it is one of our guidelines, it is one of our values, and everybody's welcome. For us, it's been important to have certain criteria that we at least verbalize and try as much as possible to enforce. So inclusiveness or whatever is one of them. 
Then we have things like alcohol, you know, which is more of an integrity thing. So if this is about healthy recreation and inclusiveness, we don't want alcohol in the streets. People can drink in their restaurants that are licensed. And so the list goes on. And you can just have an intention and know that on the day, not everything works out and that you do have challenges. Actually, during the very first Open Streets Day that was held in the suburb of Observatory in 2013, a group of activists from Marikana, which is an informal settlement in Philippi, south of Cape Town, came to set up a shack in the street to protest against illegal evictions and lack of housing. They issued a statement that said, we think we need an open city that is open to the poor, that provides the poor with land and housing. We therefore are coming to disrupt the exclusion of open streets to tell everyone of the closed city that we live in. Which is a fair point, but things worked out quite unexpectedly. A lot of people thought it was an artistic intervention. So then there were people going, did you see the shark? It was so cool and it looked so real. <laughs> but it worked out really well in an unintended way. So they came with the purpose of disrupting and they failed to do that because their space was already disrupted in a way. Very often you can plan and you, know, you can have your values, your guidelines, etc. But for us, the whole point of opening a street is to create something that doesn't need to be managed. And then you will have elements that maybe don't comply or are not aligned with your vision. I mean, Woodstock is another example. So, you know, Woodstock is in the process of gentrification. It's been for a long time. And so how do we do an open streets on Main Road and kind of completely isolate ourselves from that process? We can't. What we in that case did is the public meetings and we did work very hard to make sure that we were engaging with as many residents associations and sort of civil society groups and that we really opened up. But what I'm still conflicted by, to be very honest, is how a program like Open Streets enables something like gentrification. We don't know that either because it's a little bit like all the new flashy stuff that happens in cities, you know, and oftentimes it's about creating more value for property owners. And so how does one take part in a city and kind of stand outside some of these processes? It's almost impossible. How does one ensure that you're being a vehicle, no pun intended, of goodness, rather than, you know, a process like gentrification? That boundary between making good things happen and enabling gentrification is just one of the many fine lines that Open Streets Cape Town has to balance on. Yet, another one is scale. If you want to change the way people experience the city, but you only have so much money to work with, how do you choose between a once-a-year extravaganza and smaller, more affordable initiatives? When we interviewed Marcella, she and her team were just about to begin a series of workshops to help them refine what the NGO world calls a theory of change. That's basically a plan that links the actions you take with the impact you want to see in the world. So what does it look like if what we're trying to do is change people's behavior and one self is not going to cut it, then how do we enter that space in a more you know, efficient and effective way? What does this program look like? And again, because I'm very stubborn, I still believe that this big, and it could be just once a year or twice a year moments are important, because I think that's what's captured the imagination of a lot of people in Cape Town. I suspect that if we had started by saying to people, oh, just the street, block parties, we wouldn't be where we are right now. And so it's how do we maximize what we have achieved, going deeper, engaging more. I guess it brings me back to the idea that I think South Africans have been so conditioned into feeling powerless. No matter what we do, it won't work or it won't be sustainable or somebody will shoot us down. Just having the example of a thing that happened and is being repeated is quite powerful. And I think it's one of Open Street's strengths, the ability to connect those like big once a year extravaganzas to those little moments.
My question coming out of it was, how do you manage that tension between all the stuff that needs fixing and I can do one thing? Yeah, gosh, it's so hard. And I don't think we, I certainly don't manage it well. You know, when I first started, I was very naive. And I thought, oh, everybody's going to love it. If all these people, the co-founders of Open Streets, were loving it, surely we go to the city and they're going to love it even more. <laughs> but things weren't quite that easy, of course. It's been a long journey of learning how to work with the large, slow, conservative animal that is any big city government. But Marcella kept pushing. And she wasn't just doing it for Cape Town or the people of Cape Town. She was doing it for herself as well. Yeah. You know, I've been selling the aha moments as if it was for other people, it was for us as well, you know? I mean, when we are in that space, we go, oh my gosh, we've just done this and it's amazing and look, you know, and feel and it's just phenomenal, you know? I think what we're learning is that there are certain battles that we, that we need to be more strategic about the battles we fight, but also how do we shift our energy into building, you know, more support at the base? Well, I guess it's also, as you say, it's only five years old and Cape Town's a very big city. Getting through to people, just in the sense that they know that open streets is happening, takes a long time. And the profile that we're looking for, because oftentimes people perhaps don't follow us on Twitter or whatever, but they have heard of Open Streets. But if they didn't attend, they might have the wrong impression of what Open Streets is. So for us, making sure that we're conveying that Open Streets is a movement, not an event, you know, that this is really about ownership, the other things that we've been talking about, that it's not just a once-off. So that there's a lot of work because it's not just writing a nice message. Can you tell us a little bit more about the other projects that you're doing? Two exciting areas of work that we've been growing in the last few years. One is on campaigns around low carbon transport. And we work with WWF. They have a trust called the Green Trust with Nedbank. And we have funding from them to do smaller campaigns. So we encourage people to cycle to work. And we're organizing bicycle buses and walking buses. Basically, you know, getting people to use non-motorized transport and public transport. So that's an exciting area of the work we do. And the other one is called Street Minds, which started out as a working group of professionals professionals in the built environment wanting to basically share ideas and have a sounding board. The next dialogue is around the impact of street design on township streets. I definitely see that Open Streets is going to grow into an organization that looks at streets more broadly. And so the Open Streets days are one tool. So the small campaigns are one way, engaging with individuals and see how we can support or give ideas. I keep thinking there's open streets and then also open parks and how those connect. Because I know some of your work has been around reclaiming those spaces. And, you know, the few spaces you've mentioned as well, like company gardens, promenade, Greenpoint, common, other places Cape Townians go, which are public open space and I feel safe and everybody loves them. But why isn't there a Kailicha common? Where seven-eighths of the city doesn't have to yeah. travel 30 minutes or more to access the promenade, mm. you know. Yeah, the city just has a very terrible history that, you know, has kind of allowed for these distances to be and to separate us. And there are no quick fixes. There are parks, you know, so in Mitchell Spring, where we did open streets and ice even, like, it was amazing to see a lot of green spaces along the route. So that's also just another way of highlighting what already is there. But even with that, what can our listeners, what can we do to actually change the spaces around us, especially if you're an introvert? Uh, I don't want to go talk to my neighbor. Yes. What do I do? <laughs> I still think that walking around your neighborhood is really key. And I know that it's not possible or even desirable at all times of the day. 
But there is at some point on a Saturday morning, on a you know Sunday morning, just taking that walk is one way of getting started. And for those who are a little bit more enthusiastic, it's to cycle to their closest destination. So I think it's just making that first step. I liked what you said in the TED Talk as well about trying to find buildings and spaces that you haven't noticed before, mm. but that are actually around you all the time. Mm. So again, to me, it's about mindfulness. We have to force ourselves to get out and to think. And I know it sounds all very contrived, but that's okay. At the beginning, you know, and then hopefully it becomes a habit. Regardless of how hard it looks, this segregation that we're talking about in Cape Town that we talked about with Theo as well, Marcella's takeaway is just to get out there and do one thing. Go talk to your neighbor, do some mindfulness walking meditation, finding the connections that you would otherwise not really look for. So it's really interesting to reflect that being powerful can be quiet, that just walking around your neighborhood and seeing something different is action. You know, the more you're out there and the more you meet your neighbors, the more you build a neighborhood, the more people will feel safe to go out on the street. So yeah. maybe that's all it does take. Despite the segregation that is so prevalent and obvious in Cape Town, what Marcella is saying and what one of the major missions of Open Streets is, the way to break that down is to not stare at it and talk about it, but to actually do that one thing, which is a real mantra coming out of this discussion. Oh, I quite like that. So no hashtag activism no Facebook posts, just get out there and go to talk to people on the street. Which, you know, even as an introvert, I think, Jen, just waving at somebody on the street and saying hi is not that hard. Exactly. It makes you feel good, actually. Yeah. And then the next step is, of course, from getting out or meeting the neighbors or building those connections, finding the similarities instead of only seeing the differences, is how to sustain it, right? And that's what you get into next in our discussion with Marcella. And I guess that's a nice link to the next question, which is about sustaining the organization. So part of it is about sustaining your own energy. And then there's also physically and financially yes. sustaining it, which it's a nonprofit. What are your strategies for keeping things going? So the first amazing resource I have, or we have is the team, people who are very committed and energetic, that generates interest and eventually resources. And then the final thing is, I think because we've been doing it now for uh, a little while, as an organization, we have become more confident. You know, we now have a track record. Having said that, we don't have a financial model because this doesn't work as a social enterprise. Oftentimes people say, oh, but you should really be charging, you know, people who sell at open streets. And even though there is room for that, you know, we resist that because we don't want to become a commercial anything. How do we tackle the next five, the next 10 years? And Pam, the question you what always about ask. the question that we always ask? What makes you an innovator? Hmm. What makes you an innovator? And people always do that. They go, hmm. And we're not sure if that's because it's a bad question, or <laughs> we haven't figured that out. I think, I think it's, what, it's, it's a similar question to what um, do you consider yourself a leader? Is the kind of question that makes you feel self-conscious? I don't know if this makes me an innovator, but certainly what motivates me is being part of something bigger. So earlier I said that at heart I've always been a public servant. So I think that that helps me think through stuff and push myself to think, well, what could I do? But I very often find myself that I'm not very innovative. I'm stubborn, which I think is very different from being innovative. <laughs> and pushing myself to change the rules, you know, of the game and to try to think differently. And I really struggle with that. So I would say that I'm more of a result of an innovative process 
So maybe I'm good at being part of that process rather than being the engine. I don't know. Can I get back to you on that? Because <laughs> a lot of people we speak to speak about the nature of one's connections with others. Actually, the myth of the solo innovator is a myth. That is so interesting. Yeah. Very often, I feel like my work is just like getting to work on time and writing the proposals, writing the reports, think about what's next. And, you know, there isn't a lot of innovation in that process. Maybe innovation is just about keeping at it until something breaks or kind of make something happen, you know? Thank you. Thank you. This was really enjoyable. Thank you. That conversation made me feel really hopeful. Yeah, me too. And not just because everything is easy, but because Marcella sees so clearly what all the problems are and she's carrying on anyway. I think stubbornness is really an underrated virtue. And if I think back over all the people we've interviewed, they've all been pretty stubborn people, you know? And I think that Marcella's right, that a huge part of innovation seems to be just the trick of keeping on going when it gets hard. And you know what else really inspired me is the fact that Ciclavia has been going in Bogota for more than 40 years. I mean, imagine if we could get that right. Talk about stubbornness. All the different mayors throughout the decades in Bogota and the people keep pushing for this thing that they want and they don't let it go. Yeah, I think it's amazing, you know. What's a bit sad is that the Cape Town Cycle Tour, which is basically just a big once a year sports event, actually started at the same time as Ciclavia and it started with the same purpose of opening up the streets for bicycles all the time. And it lost its way a bit, but I think it's coming back to that purpose. Things might have been so different if that vision had been realized from the start. Jeez, I didn't realize that, Pam. Mm. The thing about the cycle tour is they're cycling back, <laughs> not to make a pun, they're coming back to the idea of cycling being for everybody. And I think open streets is one of the reasons they're doing that. As Marcella tends to say, it's never too late to start, right? It's like saying that the best time to plant a tree was 40 years ago, but the second best time can be today. So to just do something now, right? Right. And you know, that's a valuable lesson we've taken away, I think, from all the interviews we've done for this series of podcasts. Everybody has really confirmed for us that whatever it is that you want to do, just start and don't stop. <laughs> start, don't stop, and you'll get somewhere in the end, even if it's not quite where you plan to go. Where you thought you would be. Yeah, the, the conversations that we've been collecting and sharing with all of these amazing people are very inspiring. And they do seem to have all of these through lines, don't they? One, of course, is the stubbornness, whether we call it stubbornness or persistence or perseverance. They're all saying the same thing. And another thing that I really love about all of these innovators is this idea that they're never doing any of it alone. And I think mm -hmm. that comes through with what Marcella is saying as well. You know, I mean, even Open Streets as an organization it's a very horizontal structure and we found that to be the same with become the youth so it just seems to be that whoever we speak with the key to their creativity and their success in taking that big risk and pushing through despite the challenges isn't that they're doing it with a team whether that's a family member or an old friend or a fellow volunteer or a group of like-minded citizens that want to make their city a better place like in the case with open streets Cape Town I knew academically that there was 
was no such thing as the lone inventor in the garage being <laughs> the innovator. But our culture keeps telling us that, you know, that it's a thing that people do on their own or that there are these solo heroes. And this has really reinforced for me that that's not how it works. Yeah. It always takes a team. The, one of the fundamental skills actually of innovation is team building. Yeah, very good point. They've been telling us for years that not only was it a lone innovator in the lab or the studio by themselves, but usually a white man. <laughs> and that's why I really love what we're doing with Ekuneni, because we're shedding a light on innovators that don't prescribe to our historical idea of what an innovator used to be. And, you know, South Africa, but the whole world is full of these really inspiring and creative people of all ages, backgrounds, and genders doing mm -hmm. phenomenal things. And I feel really privileged to be a part of learning and sharing their stories. Same here. So thank you, Jen, for the journey. It's been an amazing process talking to eight people of such varying abilities and skills and flavors of awesomeness in the last year or so. <laughs> and we might even do some follow-up little mini episodes with some of them. So stay tuned. And a big shout out to the American Corner at the Cape Town Central Library, who've provided the funding that made the series possible. And that's our first series done. We made it. But that doesn't mean that we're stopping. So for those of you listening, we're going to be taking a break for we don't know how long, Jen, but we will be back. Not long. Just long enough to find some new innovators. I have a list already. Oh, goody. We have a list already. So we're not <laughs> going to be gone long at all. But we might be self-funding for a while. So please, listeners, keep in touch with our Facebook page at Ekinini Podcast, our Instagram you can find us also at Ekinini Podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love your support. And thanks yep. for listening. Look out on our Facebook page and our Instagram for some follow-ups on all the different people we've spoken to in the last year or so. We'll let you know what they're up to now. And yeah, thank you for listening. Bye. Ekoneni is produced by me, Pam Sykes. And me, Jen Warren. We're supported by the U.S. Consulate of Cape Town and the American Corner at the Cape Town Central Library. Special thanks to Noabisa Mayema and Debbie Matea for moral support. Music courtesy of Bottled Sounds and Sean Lawler. Follow us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Ekoneni Podcast.